Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the morning grind. Dean here. Dean once again filling in for Stevie. Stevie is still on duty with his NASCAR. Uh, if you guys want to hit up the NASCAR, NASCAR packages, you know where to find that on the Roto-Runner site. Stevie will take care of you all uh, throughout the week. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of sports going on. We've been having on various DFS personalities. Uh, of course, you guys can check those out uh, in the archives, not just uh, on the podcast page, but actually uh, on YouTube as well. The Roto-Runner's YouTube page. We talked to Head Chopper, Andy Means, uh, Beer Makers fan, Grant Niefer, Ricky Sanders. Had a lot of good conversations, had some good times because, hey, not a lot of sports going down. Uh, that said, we're actually going to talk sports. There is MMA this weekend. With that, we're going to bring in Joe Sunsu. You know him as uh, Sunsu on Twitter. He's the art of war. Uh, Joe, you're coming to us from, uh, from New Jersey. So not only that, we can get to not just some MMA DFS takes, we're going to get some betting takes as well. Joe, how are things in your world? Absolutely. Look, I, I can complain, but there are many people that have it worse than I do. So uh, I am happy to be on here. Um, I will have some a bet, at least one bet for, you know, your followers, as well as uh, some, some DraftKings info. Yeah, and Joe, uh, for what it's worth, not just an everyday guy we found off the Twitter, Twitter machine, he's currently uh, the eighth-ranked MMA player as of right now, according to the Rotor Guys ranking. So, uh, this is somebody you're going to want to listen to for sure. Uh, Monster Contest, once again, going down. I believe it's 200K as far as the big contest on Fandle for MMA. We're going to focus mainly on DK. DK has a $600,000 contest there. You were telling me pre-show, I believe you're going to be firing uh, 150 lineups in this bad boy? Yeah, when there's 150,000 in the first place, I'm going to fire 150 lineups. I do expect with an 11-fight slate that there will be some ties, but this is a good way to get warmed up for – the first ever MMA Millie Maker on June 6th. $1 million to first place on June 6th. Is there anybody big headlining that just yet? Or it's just because, uh, you know, DFS players have nothing to do? And we all want oh, to no. There, yeah, there's a, I'm sorry for cut. There's a championship no fight for with um, Amanda Nunez, who is, okay. is a dual belt holder. She holds the belt, um, the women's belt at 135 and 145. So this is, she is defending her 145 belt against the Phenom. Felicia Spencer, who is, is a good wrestler, but um, is a big underdog. All right. I, I, I imagine we're going to have you back next week to talk about that. I hope so. Sure. I hope so. I'd love to. <laughs> uh, hopefully. Hopefully we can get you next week to talk about that with the Million Maker. This week, uh, 600K. That's not too shabby as well. I believe it's 150 at the top, 150K uh, on DK. Uh, do want to ask, and it's, it's important to note, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday. This will go up on Thursday. It's certainly possible uh, things will change. I know things have changed MMA-wise uh, 
we get scratches sometimes. And the first one is that we already know at this point, you were telling me this pre-show as well. It uh, looks like Holland is out. He's not going to be fighting. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, you know, this is a similar situation to what we had on the last slate where we had the favorite fall out um, and a replacement fighter step up on short notice. And unfortunately, and I, I'll tell you why I'm saying unfortunately, DraftKings is following the same process where they're essentially allowing the fighter that remains to stay at their same salary, uh, um, which in the, on the last slate essentially made Giga Chikadze, who was the fighter who, who was left um, against the newcomer, be almost a free square in terms of having high ownership and, you know, at his price point, um, which did result in quite a few ties um, because he was on the optimal, or as we like to pre- refer to it in MMA, the nuts lineup now what we have here is dean is we have a fighter stepping up to fight daniel rodriguez and this fighter's name is 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 gabriel green i would be cautious in using daniel rodriguez as a free square like many people did um for you know chikatse and the reason for that is you know daniel rodriguez for those hardcore mma fans was essentially brought in to lose to tim means in albuquerque um, big underdog, 33-year-old journeyman fighter. Surprise, surprise, he beats Tim Means. You know, actually ends up finishing Tim Means. Um, so now he's in a position of being a minus 335 favorite coming up against this gentleman by the name of Gabriel Green. Now, Gabriel Green hasn't fought in two years. He's fighting up a weight class. Um, he is local to California, which means he doesn't have a great trip to Vegas. Doesn't train at a well-known camp. You know, training, you know, fighting a weight class up. However, you know, when he was fighting, he had a six-fight winning streak against pretty decent fighters in Bellator, which is a somewhat junior promotion to to UFC, but not a a you know not a not a really regional promotion. It's a national worldwide promotion. So again, if he comes back after this two-year layoff and he's in shape, um, and he fights to his potential, I would not be so I would not feel so confident in, in counting Rodriguez in at that free square like you did last time. Yeah, so I'm looking at the salaries. Rodriguez is the third cheapest guy on DK, and I would assume I, – I full disclosure, but it's not obvious. I am not an MMA savant. I'm just asking questions, and feel free to uh, correct me if I make something, uh, you know, a wrong assumption. But uh, I was looking at the odds when it was Rodriguez versus the dude that got scratched, Holland, and Holland it seemed like it was a favorite. So now he's jumped to, uh, from a big dog to a big favorite – and typically, you wouldn't have a guy that's minus 335 as the fourth cheapest guy on the board. Um, so ownership is going to flock to him. Are you suggesting that he's an interesting fade when it comes to tournaments? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would I would preach caution here. Um, Chikatse was a different kind of fighter. I mean, Chikatse had several UFC fights under his belt. Um, he had several wins under his belt. Um, yes, he was an underdog going into his last fight, but he's not a Daniel Rodriguez type of fighter. I mean, again, Daniel Rodriguez was essentially brought in, and this is all part of the narrative that I, I find so near and dear, was essentially brought in as, as a guy to lose to, to Means in his home state of New Mexico. And it just didn't happen, as, as often ha- occurs in MMA. So all your line value players, you, you hit it, the nail on the head, Dean, all your line value players are going to flock to Daniel Rodriguez and say, wow, I've got a minus 335 335 fighter at 7.3k on DraftKings 
I mean, this is equivocal to if you're a basketball, if you play basketball, and you got a guy at minimum salary at 3K and you find out he's starting. Like, everybody just rushes to put that guy in, in their lineup, right? This is very similar. But I would say that Green is not the same type of fighter that Rivera is, who was brought in on short notice to fight Chikotse. Um, so I don't see this as quite the free square. I'm not saying you shouldn't have ownership. I'm just saying be cautious, and it might be worthwhile to be under ownership, um, whatever that is, to, to this guy. Yeah, and uh, as far as that, uh, are you more of a Ricky Bobby style, like all or nothing when you're making your 150 lineups, or uh, how ambitious are you? How, uh, how much do you embrace or go against the idea of variance when you're making your MMA lineups? Uh, I, I embrace variance. So what I should say is, look, I, if you're playing 20 lineups, I could see the value in having a really tight core. And there are 20 entry contests in, in all sports, including MMA. And the way that I do it is I waterfall. I, 150 entries, I want exposure to every fighter on the card. Even if it's only 1% or 2%, I just want to cover myself. Um, as I start to drill down like to 20, I'm going to have a much tighter core, and I'm going to have a, an even tighter core on a 3-max. And then I will usually play one or two cash lineups. So I do embrace the variance because, honestly – you know, that's how you differentiate yourself, especially if you are GPP oriented. Um, if you're playing cash, then, you know, you, you probably don't want to embrace the variance. You're looking for a modicum of safety in how you set your lineups up. But yes, I, I do embrace the variance in mass entry. This might be a goofy question. <clears throat> how, if at all, has the lack of a crowd uh, affected how the fights have gone down? And the, there's been a couple of events so far. Is there anything to that? Or it's just... You know, is there anything, any takeaways on that? Yeah, it's actually a really good question, Dean. Um, and we, we touched upon this um, last week on, on, on a show that Brett and I did on, on – Brett Apley and I did on Sirius. It's the – it allows the fighters to actually hear the instructions from their corners. <clears throat> Where if there's a crowd, you know, it's very hard. And you, you often hear the corners yelling and screaming in the background to try to be heard. Now, you know, based on the opinion of some announcers, Daniel Cormier in particular – that is not always an advantage because, you know, you are screaming things at the fighter to execute. Um, and he's got this in his head while he's trying to fight. And Daniel Cormier was very critical of Anthony Smith, who was brutalized by, by Glover Teixeira in a fight that probably should have been stopped a lot sooner than it was because his corner was constantly getting in his head. You know, so that is one of the things from a fan perspective, like you kind of get used to it. Um, you know, and what's really interesting is you could literally hear the punches. Like when Justin yeah. Gaethje in a recent title fight was fighting um, Tony Ferguson, we were all in just am- amazement at how hard those shots were landing on Tony Ferguson and how long he was actually able to take it before the fight got stopped late. Um, so you can hear the punches, the kicks, um, and that's all very interesting. Um, you know, and, and again, the fighter perspective is more that you can hear your corner a lot clearer. I know you talked about Green taking the, sh- uh, the fight uh, on short notice. Uh, I did a little bit of research before this. Again, I know nothing, but from what I saw, apparently a lot of these guys collectively are taking uh, fights on short notice. Uh, are, are any that stand out where there's an advantage to be gained? Or like, how do you take that information and apply it to making lineups? Well, see, there's short notice and then there's short notice. Like, so like shorter notice, like a typical fight camp, people are going to tell you it's like from six to eight weeks. Um, a lot of the fighters on this slate have been rescheduled from other fight slates that were canceled due to COVID. You know, so you, you do have a number of fighters that were at least in training 
you know, as opposed to Green, who hasn't had a fight in two years. Uh, and again, he's only 27, so that is not horrific. Um, he's six years younger than Daniel Rodriguez. Um, hasn't had a fight in two years. I don't have any narrative at this point, and maybe more will develop as the week goes on, about whether he was training for a fight or not. I mean, hopefully, he, for his sake, I hope he was at least in training as opposed to training for a fight. So, yeah, the camps are shorter, but at least a lot of these are fighters that are in the UFC network and have been assigned fights at other slates, and they're being moved over to this slate. Uh, correlation, as far as correlation on fights, uh, the last round, the featured uh, the featured fight, I believe, goes five rounds as opposed to the traditional three rounds. Uh, I suppose it matters who was fighting. This would be Buds, uh, Burns and Woodley. Uh, yes. Is, uh, uh, so how do we uh, – do we have to have somebody in that fight? Do we sometimes play them both if they just, like, brawl for five rounds and you rack up enough points? Uh, and how do we uh, – I guess it's specific to the fight. It's specific to – uh, the techniques and how these guys actually fight, how many punches they're going to throw, if they're just going to kind of chill for five rounds. Uh, how are we attacking the, the featured bout? Well, I don't, I don't know who is better at throwing me softballs, Dan or yourself. Um, I really appreciate that question. <laughs> that because, yeah, that is a, that's a softball for me. Um, so what you're referring to in the main event is stacking, right? Um, yeah. And there are people who will tell you, especially if you are a cash player, that you should always stack the main event. I am not in that camp. Um, I believe there are fights that you should stack for the very reason that you illuminated. Um, there's a lot of going to be a lot of activity, and you have to understand how scoring is in DraftKings too. I mean, if you have two stand-up fighters, meaning they are their mo is to strike and not to look for takedowns, not to look for you know not wrestlers, strikers. Um, you need those extra rounds to to get enough significant strikes to make it worthwhile to hit value. A decision win is 30 points. You get um, every two significant strikes result in one point. So obviously those two additional rounds, assuming that you keep up a constant rate of activity, um, is better for scoring. Now, in terms of stacking, you want two relatively high volume strikers. You don't necessarily have that here. I mean, Tyrone Woodley is notoriously a low volume striker. Um, and Gabriel Burns, at least recently, is, is more of a finisher. Um, so I suspect that this fight will not go five rounds. Um, I have not looked yet or recently at what the inside the distance prop is. I don't see this as a great fight to stack. And I would even go so far as to say if there may be better value on the rest of the slate. Now, of course, with only 11 fights and, you know, generally you have between 11 and 13, the more fights, the better for variance and, and for spreading. With 11 fights, you're probably going to want some exposure to the main event, but I don't necessarily see it as a must um, because both of these fighters tend to score well in a finish. What you really don't want is a hug fest and then, you know, a later finish because the way that scoring works is the earlier the finish, the more points you get. So, and that's certainly possible. It's certainly possible that one of these fighters can get an early finish. Um, the other thing to factor in is the cage is smaller. Um, for this event than typical UFC events. They're fighting at the UFC Annex in Las Vegas, um, which is where they do, um, you know, uh, the Dana White Contender Series fights. So it's a smaller cage. Um, and that kind of will factor into guys that are strikers that like to fight in a phone booth, um, that aren't kind of movement guys like a Dominic Cruz who likes to kind of use the entire octagon when he moves. So there's that to take into consideration. 
But I would say it is okay to put a few lineups in, even if you're doing 20, that do not include the main event. Uh, for what it's worth, Woodley versus Burns, the to go the distance, it's plus 140 on DK, minus 190, no. Yeah. Uh, does that sound about right to you? As far as yeah, I mean, you know, again, simply because they're both low, you know, that Woodley in particular is a low output striker. I mean, I would expect maybe even, the, you know, in a normal five-round fight where you have, you know, especially for a title, you might have in a men's fight numbers that are even wider than that. But I think 190, about two to one is probably right that the fight doesn't go the distance. I would be very surprised if this went the full five rounds based on on both Jones, I'm sorry, on, on Burns and Woodley's track record um, of fights. I, I, would, I would expect a finish. So I think it's important that you get the right side here and not try to stack it and, and you know, in cash and, and come up with those, those, those few extra points that you're going to get for a stack. Because I, I could see an early finish here. Yeah, I guess it's two different brains. I should have clarified as far as, like, a tournament perspective and a cash game perspective. And I think you're more likely to roster one in a cash as opposed to tournament. Like, they're, you know, tournament, you can do, you can do whatever you want. That's what I'm told. And, yeah. Well, actually, actually Dean, it's the opposite. Most, oh, most okay. people like to stack in cash. Like it's it's inadvisable to stack in a tournament because you're already starting the day with one loss, so you're starting the slate with now. Not to say there have not there have been instances in the past when uh, you know the stack actually wound up on the optimal. No, it does it does occur, but it's very unusual, and it's usually guys that are really high volume strikers that that do go the distance. That you have like and, and more common in women's fights, like when. Joanna John Jacek, who fights at 115 in the women's division, she is a high velocity and high volume striker, but is not really a finisher per se. So, like, if she gets in with another striker, I mean, she could throw 200 significant strikes in a fight. And, he, and even if she loses, right, you're going to get 100 points, you know, for that. So, you really are more apt, people are more apt to stack in cash. But Was there are the- occasions where it makes sense. Was that the woman who fought recently? I know there was like a, a legendary... Where, where her head blew up into a, like, where she looked like Frankenstein's monster? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was Joanna, and that was a very close decision against the Chinese champion, um, you know, Wai Li. Uh, very good fight, like people calling it an early fight of the year candidate, but that was a fight where both women scored significantly well because no one got finished, and it was a slugfest. So you mentioned the scoring system, and this is kind of one of the reasons why I'm a little hesitant to play a lot of MMA, because it's a little scary, a little intimidating. And so a first-round knockout, you get extra points for being in the first round. Uh, ideally, I suppose, is a knockout like the last three or four or five seconds of the first round where you collect all those points leading up to the knockdown. But theoretically, could you score more points if you knock somebody out in the second or third round if you're racking up enough punches? Absolutely, especially if you have a wrestling aspect to your game, because you're also getting five points – for takedowns, you're getting um, points for improving your position. You're getting points for reversals and advances. Advances meaning improving your position. And and to your point, significant strikes. You get 90 points for a first round finish by either knockout or sub. You get 70 points for a second round finish. So in theory, you know if you were to finish a uh, if you were to get a finish at the end of the second round, and you've landed a takedown or two, um, you know maybe a few advances and you wrapped up more significant strikes, you can certainly score more than if you got an early first-round finish. And that's one of the strategies when you're looking at guys like Francis Ngannou, um, you know, referred to as Frankie Murder, who is a heavyweight fighter who, who has really quick finishes. Um, and if he's priced really highly, 
and he gets a quick finish, you know, your, your ceiling is very limited. You get 90 points, you get a knockdown, <coughs> excuse me, which is 10 points, and then you get whatever significant strikes he threw to get that finish. So, you know, you definitely have your floor is nice, but if he's really priced high, he might not be on the optimal, even though he gets a first-round finish. It's just so weird to me to get my mind around the concept of if your dude knocks out the other dude in the first five seconds, that might be almost a bad thing in some ways, which is just sort of weird to me. Well, but- you know, Dra- DraftKings, Dean, did change a while back the scoring. It used to be you'd get 100 points for the first-round finish. Yeah. And they, they changed the scoring to assist fighters who are wrestling-based. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot more – there's a lot more scoring now for takedowns and reversals and – advancing and improving your position and as a result they they changed it from 100 points for a first round finish to 90 all right let's dive in let's talk about some of the fights let's talk about some of the fighters that are standing out you from a from a dk perspective uh is there a building block is there somebody uh, would you hit a lock button you wouldn't hit a lock button on, on 150 lineups i don't think not in, not in mma or no i mean I, the fight. yeah obviously rodriguez that fight is going to be highly targeted simply because you have a 7.3k fighter that's minus 335. So there's going to be a lot of ownership there. I kind of, I think we kind of talked through that. Um, there was also a heavyweight fight between Augusto Sakai and Blagovoy Ivanov um, that, where they're pretty much equal. I mean, they're, they're both like minus 110, minus 112. Mm-hmm. You know, the thought being that, you know, that fight is likely going to end in a finish. And they are lower to mid-tier heavyweights which are typically good fights to target because generally someone's going to get finished. And you look at the finish prop, um, you know, in that fight. I mean, I have a lean. I don't have a, I don't have a strong opinion on that fight. I have a lean towards um, Augusta Sakai, um, but it's not a strong lean. Um, another fight to look at is at the complete other end of the spectrum, 125-pound fight. You have Tim Elliott. Um, I'm sorry. You have Tim Elliott fighting Casey Kenny. Right. And then you have one weight class up, Luis Smoka. I'm sorry, you have Luis Smoka fighting Casey Kenny, and you have Tim Elliott fighting a guy named Royale. Um, Luis Smoka and Casey Kenny, there are going to be a lot of grappling based points in that fight. So that could be a good fight to target. Um, Smoka might actually offer some value. Um, he was a party to the highest scoring fight in the history of, of MMA um, for two fighters, where um, the stack yielded, you know, close to 300 points. If oh. you were to stack the fight, like Tim Elliott scored 175 points. And he's also fighting on this slate, which actually momentarily confused me. Um, but, you know, that's an interesting fight to target. Um, the fights I would probably avoid for DraftKings is I would avoid the female fight between um, Antonio Shevchenko. And if that name sounds familiar, she is Valerie's Valentina's little older sister, actually, okay. much less skilled. Um, who's fighting um, what a fighter that they call the blonde fighter, Chukagian from New Jersey, um, who actually is coming off of a loss to the sister, Valentina. That doesn't happen too <laughs> there's, often. There's got to be some narrative street there, right? All right. Oh, yeah. That is interesting. Now, this is an interesting fight because, you know, uh, Antonia is a much less experienced fighter than, than Chukagian. Um, also, Chukagian does have a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, under Renzo Gracie, which is a well-thought-of um, belt to have. Um, now, she's not typically a takedown fighter, but Antonia's weakness is on the ground. Um, that fight has a massive um, inside-the-distance value prop. So I would take a stab 
at maybe Chukagian getting a decision, I'm sorry, getting a finish in that fight, likely by submission. Um, the reason why the line is so wide is because she typically does not go for takedowns. She's seen as a striker, but she does have a clear advantage on the ground, and she does come from a very good camp. Um, so I could certainly see her working that into her game. And if she gets the, this, if she gets the finish, it's a huge payday. I don't like it on DraftKings because I think it could. It's probably going to end in decision, um, and it's going to be kind of a boring striking affair. Um, but I also see some value just betting on on Chukagian at plus money, um, being the being the more experienced fighter, having a, a, a better pedigree, um, and you know there's some recency bias um, partially because of her loss to to you know the the younger sister, and you know partially because of the name Shevchenko. Um, so yeah. I, I do kind of see some value in, in playing as a bet, um, Chukagian at plus money. Yeah, she's a slight dog here in the DK Sportsbook, currently at plus 115. Uh, welcome back just for a second as far as the Augusto Sakai versus Ivanov matchup. They're both minus 112. Like you said, uh, DK is telling us it's a coin toss. You're telling me that there's a really good chance one of these dudes is going to knock out one of the other dudes. So when you're building a bunch of lineups, when you're uh, on, on your model, uh, do you say, hey, uh, I want no, uh, I don't want both these guys, but I want to have one of these guys, and you can say, hey, give me one, and maybe make it fifty-five percent one, forty-five percent the other. Is there ever a time, and is this a potential time where you say, I want to lock in whoever dominates this fight? Well, I mean, again, in a lower level heavyweight fight, that in, unless you particularly have some insight that the line is off, which I don't necessarily have, I do have a lean to Sakai, but it's 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 a slight lean. I probably want to have a fair amount or an equally weighted amount of each fighter in mass entry. Now, if you're not playing mass entry, if you're only going to play a handful of lineups, I mean, I think if you play three lineups, maybe you, you, you do one, one and none, um, you know, in, in three lineups, but you know, it's hard to take a stand in a lower level heavyweight fight. I mean, yeah, the, the upside is there for the finish, but the floor isn't very high and you really don't want to start out the night with, a five, or not start out the night, but have have a fighter in your lineup with five points or seven points or ten points because that fighter happened to get starched quickly. Then you're done. Like you, you can't recover from the, from that. Thing. Yeah, been, I mean, yeah. you know, and that's the hardest part about mass entry is, you know, and, and I counsel people on this. You're knowingly putting lineups, and you know this from playing other sports. You're knowingly putting lineups in that are destined to fail, um, and and you're doing that as as a partial hedge. Um, because you want you want to spread the variance and you want you want exposure, right? So that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to grasp. Like, why don't I just you know go out on an island? <clears throat> Which is great if you're right, but if you're wrong, I mean, it, it makes the night really long. Uh, Dern is the most expensive fighter at ninety three hundred. Uh, she's minus four hundred according to the Vegas line. Uh, and it is this also kind of leads to a question I have. It's I, I heard again in my, in my little research I did. Uh, they were talking about how the UFC just wants Dern to win, like for whatever reason. Like she, she's like the future, and the, the woman she's fighting against apparently is just not that significant according to their future considerations. And you know, I see people on Twitter talking about all the time, like that was a terrible judge, that was a terrible judgment, and there's all sorts of sketchy judgments out there. How much do you consider, like, well, what, how would this best benefit the UFC, and maybe it breaks a tie or like the you know, this person's more likely to win and kind of get graded on a curve. How much does that factor in? And Dern specifically, is she worth uh, the, mo- the most expensive uh, price tag here on DK? Okay, so a, a, a quick confession I have to make. Um, 
I'm not sure how I got this name, but I am referred to as the chick whisperer for my, I I like to watch women's fights. Um, I I watch Invicta a lot. I mean, I I scout women, um, you know, for fighting and also the king of narrative. So when you combine those two together, there are fighters within the UFC who, who get a, a better, who get more runway than other fighters. Generally, (laughs) <laughs> Those are the lookers um, uh, that the UFC wants to get behind marketing. Now, Mackenzie Dern is both Brazilian jiu-jitsu royalty and is not overly hard on the eyes, if you followed her on Instagram. Um, she is coming off a loss. <clears throat> her loss was her first fight post-childbirth, um, and it was a really, really difficult fight against a fighter who... I see as a top five, maybe even a top three fighter in the weight class. So this is what I refer to as a give me fight for Mackenzie Dern. Now, anything could happen in MMA. And if, you know, Dern has got such an advantage on the ground, um, the fighter she's fighting is coming from a a finish loss. Um, She's tough. Cyphers is tough. But really, this is one of those where the matchmaker is saying, Mackenzie Dern, we gave you a tough fight post your first fight post post childbirth we're going to give you Hannah Cyphers and if you can't get something done here it's kind of back to the drawing board so is she worth minus 400 probably not however you know she is going to be targeted because there's that potential for ground points you know she is going to look to get the fight to the ground she is going to look to lock up a submission um she is going to get advances um Cyphers is tough as tough as they come but, you know, if this fight goes, starts to go long, if this fight gets out of the second round, it could get very interesting where, you know, your theory or your, you know, what you were talking about in terms of a close decision coming into play. Um, and one thing that, that, is, that needs to be made very clear, the UFC does not control who judges the oh. fights. It's all done by the, the, by the commission in the state that the fights are being held. So obviously the greater level of frequency that, that a fight card is held in a state, typically the more competent the judging is. Like we had some real issues with Florida in the past couple of weeks. There were some really strange decisions, especially on the last slate. Las Vegas, on the other hand, should have a higher level of competency in the judges because there are a lot more fights, um, MMA fights in Las Vegas. You were uh, you were talking about the like, king of narratives. I, I can't help but notice in these uh, in these times, uh, the current living situation we're in. How do you not lock button Quarantino? How is that? Uh, I don't know. And he's a favorite too. I don't. I don't want to think about him. Never heard of him. Billy Quarantino. <laughs> uh, is he interesting to you? I don't. Is that? Yeah. Look, I mean, he, he actually scored 139 points, I believe, in his in his last um, DraftKings in his in his one and only fight that he had in the UFC. It's interesting because he's going up against a fighter known as Spike Carlisle, known as the Alpha Ginger. <laughs> he's, okay. a, he's a redheaded fighter who was an underdog in his last fight um, and did actually pretty well. I mean, it's a fairly, it's a closely lined fight. I've seen support for both fighters. Um, I do suspect it's going to end in either a finish or, um, you know, kind of a bloody type of decision because both these guys tend, especially Carlisle, tends to get after it. Um, and you know, cardio definitely comes into play. You, you kind of touched on, on reduced training camps, um, earlier in, in the show and yeah, tr- you know, cardio does come into play 
a lot of these guys look to get a finish early and they're, they're perfectly willing to kind of finish or be finished, you know, in order to get the fight over with early and, you know, worry about their cardio if the fight goes into the third round. So I'm kind of expecting a finish in this fight. And honestly, I think this is a pretty good fight to target. Uh, give me somebody that's probably going to win, but maybe their DK price is too expensive or just not going to rack up enough points. So somebody you think is going to win, but still probably is worth having less than the field. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably the second highest priced fighter, uh, Roosevelt Roberts. Um, I can take a quick look, Andre. I don't think he's actually scored that well um, from a DraftKings perspective um, in his his past several fights. And, you know, he is a pretty significant favorite. So that might be a fight that you want, you know, you want less of um, considering the price point. Uh, you know, that's one that, that comes to mind. Also, you know, you probably don't want a lot of either side or either side of the women's fight, unless you're, you're looking at it as a contrarian opportunity. Like if you truly follow my line of thought and feel that Chukagian is going to get the fight to the ground, despite the fact that she has not gone for a takedown previously, um, you know, then there is, that could be a good contrarian play and her price point is pretty attractive. Um, I don't see a really high ceiling on Antonia. Even if she wins, I'd be very surprised if she got a finish. Um, going back, looking at Roosevelt Roberts, his last fight, he had a, he won by decision and only scored 53 points at, at 8.5K. Prior to that, he lost. He was at 8.9K and only scored uh, 32 points. Um, and then prior to that, he was at 9.5K and only scored 85 points. So in his last three fights, two wins and a loss, he did not approach that 10x mark. And, and again, we, we look at, at X in MMA in a similar fashion as you would in, in the other main sports. Um, you know, the benchmark is kind of 10x for cash. And then, you know, 12x or higher for GPPs is what you're looking for. And inversely, give me somebody that, uh, that pops uh, from a DK price perspective as far as uh, the best value, the best play. Outside of Rodriguez, we're going to talk about Rodriguez, uh, who, you know, we gave the reasons as to why his price is what it is based upon his fight. Now things have changed 7.3 K I'd imagine it'll be every single cash game lineup, but uh, give me somebody that's uh, maybe you'll be taking a stand on somebody. I don't know, 8.3, 8.2 and under that uh, is really popping for you. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you have the heavyweight fight, but I'll go deeper than that because that that's pretty much captain obvious is you want to target the heavyweight fight, which is pretty even. Um, I think there could be potentially some value in Luis Smoka. Um, you know, I think he could have it in, in less, and I don't see it necessarily happening, but unless he gets submitted really quickly, which has happened in the past, I can certainly see him having a decent floor, um, you know, vis-a-vis his grappling. I do expect there to be, uh, I do expect a lot of this fight to happen on the ground. Um, and both fighters are, you know, are ground fighters based on their pedigree. So I could certainly see there being some value at a really low price point for, um, for Louis Smoke. And now on the other side, if you want to play the the dog with the potential to get a finish, I'm certainly Spike Carlisle, the Alpha Ginger. Um, yeah. I, I am seeing some love for the Alpha Ginger, um, you know, and he is attractively priced as well. But these guys are both GPPs. Like, unfortunately, the lock and load play in cash is going to be right or wrong. Rodriguez, I can see a lot of people at 7.3 plugging him in to not only their cash games, but also I could see him being very highly owned in GPPs. 
um, which which in a sense could be good because the ownership on some of these other guys that I mentioned, like Smoka and and Spike Carlisle, might be lower than you would normally expect. Um, if Kevin Holland was in that fight, you would have seen very low ownership on on Rodriguez. So just a general thought or general question and kind of how you apply it to making lineups or picking fighters, uh, skill level in, in conjunction with variance, uh, like a horse race, a maiden race versus like the Kentucky Derby. And now you jump over to MMA, like two guys that, you know, somebody's got to win, right? And there's a decent chance they're going to plug it out and somebody's going to put up a lot of points. Uh, the mediocre skill level of to variance as opposed to like the highest of skill level versus variance. Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. I kind of, I kind of see where you're coming from. So, yeah, there are obviously fighters that step up in competition, um, and there are fighters that step down in competition. You know, and you know, the matchmaking is sometimes questionable, um, by by the UFC. Um, you know, and, and you you got to kind of read between the lines. Like, are they legitimately? And you have what's known as gatekeepers, like guys that you kind of want to keep around to test prospects that you want to tout. And the thought being, like, if a prospect can step up and beat this gatekeeper, then he's probably destined for better things. But if he stalls against the gatekeeper, then he probably needs to kind of rethink his strategy. So, yeah, you do look at skills. More important than that, though, is is matchups. Like, there are bad and good stylistic matchups for fighters. You know, like, you you, if you are a a stand-up fighter – um, with a bad takedown defense, no matter how skilled you might be at striking, it might not be the best stylistic matchup for you to go against uh, a, a, D, a former D1 wrestler who's going to look to get the fight to the ground. You know, like the, the best example of that that most people will know is Habib Namagamedov against Conor McGregor. Um, now, Conor McGregor didn't have the worst takedown defense in the world, but uh, Habib is an elite wrestler. I mean, this is a guy who's wrestled bears. Um, in, in, in Russia. I mean, you know, from, from the time he was 12 years old, and it's a sure. huge wrestling culture. So Khabib was, and, and Khabib was able to get the fight to the ground, and, you know, McGregor was essentially lost. Um, you know, so you want to look at stylistic matchups. Um, on, the, on the inverse of that, you know, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje, that was a good stylistic matchup for both fighters because even though Gaethje had a D1 background, wrestling background in his pocket and Tony Ferguson was proficient in jujitsu. Both of the fighters were very stand-up oriented. So for both fighters, you know, they were going to take a striking based offense in the game. Both were high output strikers. Um, and Gaethje actually absorbed, you know, historically absorbed more strikes than he threw, even though he threw quite a few strikes per minute. And that's kind of what everybody looks at. Everybody looks at strikes landed per minute and strikes absorbed per minute. Those are big, important metrics for those guys that actually do look at the math in MMA. Yeah, it's interesting how the UFC has a certain level of uh, manipulation where they can either set you up for failure or set you up for success. Right. Uh, all right, we're going to get a couple of takes from you from the Vegas Sportsbook. Before we do that, uh, let's uh, knock out the DFS perspective here. Give me a fighter or two that maybe you're on higher than the field. Maybe a fighter or two that you feel like they're going to be on the GPP winning lineup. What do you have for me? Okay, so on the GPP winning lineup, um, I don't know how much of a hot take this is, but I I do think that Mackenzie Dern is going to get the finish. Um, Now, she's got to get it early, but you are going to get grappling points. If it goes to a decision, it could be a bad play, and she's going to be very highly priced. 
Um, I do think one of the two heavyweight fighters um, are going to be on the optimal simply because I see that fight ending by finish. So those two are who again? Those two are Augusta Sakai and um, Ivanov. I I can see those fighters um, being on the optimal. Um, Interesting to me is Casey Kenny, Luis Smoka, because again, that's a fight that's going to be, you know, settled likely on the ground. And the other fight that's likely going to be settled on the ground is, is the Tim Elliott fight. Um, You know, Tim Elliott is um, not a super big favorite. He's minus 190 um, against uh, Brandon Royal, who, who is plus 150. Um, I could certainly see that fight, um, you know, playing out predominantly on the ground. And Elliott has put up huge numbers in the past. I told you, I mean, he is one of the highest scores ever um, on DraftKings at 175. Um, and I could certainly see him replicating that. So given that he is more attractively priced than Mackenzie Dern, um, I would probably have more, more of that fight. Um, you know, on my, you know, in my lineups, I'd probably look to put Tim Elliott in a fair amount of lineups. I'm not sure what ownership is going to be yet. It's a little early, um, to kind of forecast ownership, but, um, yeah, I'm not going to say he's going to be overlooked, but I do think that I'm going to have significant exposure to Tim Elliott. All right. Let's pivot over to the DK sports book. I know you mentioned Mackenzie Dern. She's minus 400. I don't know if you want to lay that juice. Uh, if you think it's a, a good favorite to, you know, kind of hammer because you think it's pretty, uh, Pretty solid wager, or uh, somebody else uh, on the board that may be your favorite bet uh, when you consider the odds over there yeah. at the DK. I would look at the sub prop on Mackenzie Dern. I'm not sure that they're out yet. Um, you know, I have a feeling that she's going to win by sub. It's possibly that it's possible that she wins by ground and pound. So I would kind of look at. Usually, there's two props out there on on DraftKings where one is where you could actually pick the precise method of finish. You know, be it KO or be it sub. Another is by any finish. I would kind of look at the spread between those two. And if there's not that wide a variance between wins by any finish and wins by submission, I would kind of just go the wins by any finish. Cause I do suspect that Mackenzie Byrne um, is, is going to get the finish um, likely by sub, but possibly by ground and pound. I could see either one of those happening. I would not lay minus 400. Um, I did mention Chukagian. Um, she's been as high as plus 120. Um, I'd watch the line movement on that. I already have a bet down personally on, on Chukagian. Um, I will take a small flyer on um, both inside the distance and, and take a look at what that submission prop opens up as, um, you know, just on, on Chukagian, just because I think there is a possibility that she will, even though she hasn't in the past, get the fight to the ground and perhaps finish Antonia by sub. Um, so I will take a small flyer on that, but that is a high risk proposition. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable about just betting on Chukagi and to win at plus money. I do kind of like that. Uh, I just pulled it up on the fly, by the way, to win by any knockout submission or DQ Mackenzie Dern jumps from minus 400 to minus 152. Is that good enough for you? Yeah, I would, I would probably take a flyer at that. I mean, again, not to say she can't win an ugly decision, but I have to believe that if Mackenzie Dern gets position on the ground, she's either going to choke her out or get such an advantageous position that she's going to ground and pound Cyphers to the extent that either Cyphers, you know, quits or the referee stops the fight. Now, there is that chance that it goes to kind of this ugly type of decision. We've seen that before with Mackenzie Dern, and Cyphers is tough. 
Um, but Cyphers did get finished in her last fight. So I could certainly see that happening by, you know, by Mackenzie Dern. And I do think the UFC is, is, you know, sort of lobbing her a softball here. All right, let's get you out of here on this one. I don't know if this is a softball or not, but uh, your favorite live dog in the DK Sportsbook. Wow. Okay, so um, my favorite dog. Talk me through it. What do you have? Yeah, okay, so again, I'm going to go and, and, you know, this is a dog by virtue of the fact that he's plus money. I'm going to say Spike Carlisle, the alpha ginger. Um, you know, you're getting plus money. I mean, if you want a real deep dog, I would take a flyer on, on Gabriel green. You know, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, but you've got a 33 year old journeyman who was brought in to lose against Tim means who actually earned more in that fight with his performance of the night bonus than he's earned in his entire career in mixed martial arts. Now you want narrative, like all of a sudden you have 50, 70, $5,000 in your pocket where you've never made any money in MMA. I mean, you know, there, there's sort of a glow that's kind of going to fade there. Um, so if you want to take a shot at plus money, that is a real high profile flyer. If you want something that's perhaps a bit more realistic with less question marks and less narrative, I would certainly look at Spike Carlisle. Joe, where can people find you? Uh, you know, well, where can they hit you up if they have any extra questions as far as MMA? I know you're Sun Tzu on the Twitter machine. What are they plugs out there you want? So I am at Sun Tzu on Twitter. That's S is in Sam, U-N-T-S-Z-U on Twitter. I, I do troll Twitter a lot. Um, I'm generally pretty free with my time um, answering intelligent questions. Um, you know, I do a, a, a periodic show with, with the infamous Fred Apley called Creating Alpha in Daily Fantasy MMA um, that we kind of have going on. That's a, a loosely formatted show. It's not a selection video. Um, and, and, you know, I'm excited to be working with you guys on occasion. Yeah, I much appreciate it. I feel like I learned a lot. Now I'm going to fire. I'm going to make a couple of lineups. And uh, if I'm going to troll you on Twitter, if I lose, it's all your fault. But if I win, <laughs> I will make sure to take that victory lap. I get this. Look at my screenshot. This is all me. And save some powder, Dean, for the Millie Maker. Like, you know, those of us who are hardcore MMA players since 2015, we always felt like we were the redheaded stepchild yeah. of, of, MM, of, of sports because – you know, we never, you know, we never got really a live final and, you know, these, these, these contests that we have, you know, these bracket challenge contests kind of just extend forever. And now we find ourselves with a contest where a million dollars goes to first place. So, you know, be sure to fire up into that. That was Joe Sun Tzu uh, at Sun Tzu on the Twitter machine. Much appreciated. Thank you guys for listening to the Morning Grind. I was Dean. We're out of here. Holler.